want apple juice. Lucas wants apple juice. I know, I heard him can say I that. Can I have apple juice? Yeah, you can have apple juice. Can I have soda? Yes, you can have soda. Can I press that button? No, you can't press that button. Why? Because that's going to play the theme song. I'm not ready to start Click. the pot. Welcome back to another edition of the show. We are in the midst of March, going in like a lion, hopefully coming out like a lamb. And uh, thank you once again for finding me, whether you found me on Amazon or Spotify or any of your streaming services. I am streaming into your ears, and I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you guys for allowing me to do that. Uh, Before anything, wherever you found me, if you found me on any of those services, please give a like, give a subscribe, a rating, a review, a recommendation, um, you know, a hug. Come on. Be nice. Whatever you can do, do it. I really appreciate it. Helps more people hear about the show. Helps more people understand, you know, what I'm trying to do here. Kind of the idea behind everything, like the blog and this as well. Uh, if you don't check out the blog as well, the blog is highblogomdad.com. I do that every Monday, every Wednesday. I'm back here on Friday talking about my kids, talking about life, talking about different things. And I think that's one of the, the things that I like most about doing this podcast and about the blog in general is how it's kind of open-ended. You know, I get an opportunity to talk to you guys about really whatever pops into my head, which is always my goal. I've talked about this before. For years, I used to write about professional wrestling and kind of boxed into it. I love wrestling and I I feel like I love it more now that I'm not covering it anymore. But I used to get really frustrated because everything I wrote about had to be in that world. It had to be about something on TV or something involving the world of wrestling. And I always said, I wish I could have an opportunity to write and to talk and to do things about whatever popped into my head. And that's what this is. So it's been fantastic. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. It's been a big week for me. I want to thank all of you guys too for being a part of that. As you guys know, I started working with Valnet Media uh, that ran Baby Gaga a few months ago. That was the, the website about pregnancy, about you know parenting, and uh, you know kind of piggybacking off of my book. I wrote the Expected Father's Activity book. That came out in September. And, you know, it did great. It was really, and it's still doing great, actually. I, I don't check it as much as I should. Amazon doesn't really send me updates. But then I go to it and I'm like, oh, wow, we're doing, we're doing pretty good on Amazon. So it's an exciting and fun thing to have going on. So I went from there to writing for Baby Gaga, which was pretty much a site that almost covered everything. But everything was, again, kind of in that in that wheelhouse of pregnancy and childbirth, whether it was, you know, uh, medical studies and things like that. I really like doing it. It gave me a lot of opportunities to, to get my work out there, to be a part of this company. It was fantastic. And what ended up happening was, and this is what's cool about this, is that as you get older and you have kids, sometimes things happen in your life that as they're happening, you say to yourself, I'm going to tell my kid this. And it's going to be a life lesson. And even if your kid doesn't really care, because kids don't seem to care about anything. You tell them stuff, they're like, cool. My daughter does that. She goes, cool. I'm like, what? Cool. Thanks, Liv. Stop saying cool. But you tell yourself, you're like, I'm going to tell my kid this story. This is going to be a life lesson for my child to, to take with them. And that's what this was. That's what ended up happening here. So, you know, as you guys know, I went through this divorce and we're in the final, final, like the end stages. Like this is, you know, if, 
<laughs> you know, if, if this was a, a movie and somebody was on their way out, like this, we're at the scene right before they put the pillow on the, on, you know, Jack Nicholson's face. <laughs> One flew over the cuckoo's nest. That's where we're at. So it's like done and done. I moved out. I got this place. The kids are here half the time. It's fantastic. Everything's working out great. And I was all ready and everything was fine. And then all of a sudden, uh, baby Gaga uh, started to downsize a bit. And I was like, oh my God. And when a site like that starts to downsize a bit, what ends up happening is there's less work to do, less things available. And every instinct in me started to kind of freak out a little bit because, and I've had people tell me this, they're like, if this was a year ago, you would have freaked out. Uh, I would get concerned over things like that. You know, I wasn't as proactive. I used to wait for things to happen to me. And when they would happen, I would get upset. I'd be like, you know, why is this happening? What can I do? You make desperate moves, desperate measures, go all out of your way to figure out what can be done, things like that. So this happened to me. I kind of absorbed it. I said, oh, all right, quotas were cut, less opportunities, less things that I could write about, less things I could do. So I wrote on my own to the editor that I had written for, asking her about, you know, can anything be done? She goes, well, let me see what can, can be done. Here are the, the job listings. I mean, the job listings. Went, oh, no. So I started looking through the job listings. And then, you know, a few days later, I got the opportunity to come write for The Richest, which is a division, uh, you know, one of the websites under Valnet. And I knew the richest. That's what made it really cool. I remember when I used to cover pro wrestling, every once in a while, the richest would do a story about Vince McMahon or about a wrestling company. And it would get headlines. You know, the richest covers Vince McMahon. And you'd read them and you, you know, I remember looking at it and kind of being impressed with the site. It was a beautiful site. It looks like a rich site. It's black with gold writing, that kind of stuff. Really cool, really beautiful. Big fan of, of everything I had ever read on there. So to be a part of it was like a big deal. I'm like, this is really cool. I'm excited. So I'm on there, I'm doing it, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I like this, but it's still, you know, kind of treadmillish, you know? So I wrote, again, to the editor, hey, if you guys need anything else, just let me know. Like, maybe, do you need somebody to, like, help edit? You know, I used to edit, I used to run this wrestling site for years, and I had, you know, staff under me, and I know kind of what goes into it, what it entails. Yeah, let me get back to you on that. All right. Again, job listing sent to me. So I applied to the job listing and, you know, long story short, here I am now. I am now the new content editor, one of the editors over on The Richest. I love being able to tell people I'm the richest content editor. They're like, you have a lot of money? I'm like, mm, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> you don't want to be like, it's the name of the site. But every step of the way, I made this happen. You know, nothing came to me. Nobody showed up and walked up to me and was like, hey, are you looking for this? I was looking for it and I found it on my own. And that's what I was excited to be able to tell my daughter. Realizing, I guess at this age, and I'm, you know, a little old to, I guess, figure things like this out. But, you know, I think sometimes in life you're taught the wrong things when you're young and you go through life that way. Where I got things done, but I feel like I got a lot of things done kind of at a slower pace than I that I maybe should have, you know? There's definitely times where I look back now and I'm like, you know, maybe I shouldn't have rested on my laurels. Maybe I shouldn't have waited for that to happen. And I talked about this before, that when I was a kid, I had a, a grown-up in my life, as they say. Grown-up in your life? Where's your grown-up? I had a grown-up in my life who used to tell me this piece of advice that I followed until I eventually got old enough to be like, that is the worst advice I ever heard in my life. It was told to me almost as like, uh, you know, a long-standing traditional piece of information. And I was told when I was young, 
It's better to sit at the back of the table and be asked to move up than to sit at the front of the table and be asked to move back. And I lived like that. And I thought that was such a smart state because it sounds smart, especially when you're like five or six and someone tells you that. You're like, oh, they're like, you know what front of the table is? You know, one of those, like, it's like you're so young that you don't even understand like the symbolism. Um, and I live like that, waiting. You didn't want to, didn't want to be in the front, didn't want to be pushy, didn't want to be seen as whatever. And it is the worst, worst piece of advice ever. And if you're, you know, if you're the person who told me that and you're listening, yeah, bad, bad advice, not good advice. The reason why is because the whole world wants to sit at that front seat. So if it's empty when you get there, Sit in that seat. Sit in that seat. The other part of that that I never understood, and this is something I realized before I even realized that it was a bad piece of advice. I started thinking, why? Why is it better to be asked to move up than to move back? Like, well, what's the problem in being asked to move back? So what? Can you move back from this seat? This is reserved for somebody else. Oh, sorry. Didn't realize. It's cool. You had to sit in that seat for a little while. What if they're afraid to, to tell you to move back? What if what if it's so awkward for everybody else that they're like, all right, I guess you could just sit up here and make more money and you know make better networking connections and sit at the front of the table. Grab that seat. Don't push your way anywhere you're not supposed to be. You know, if you, if there's a line, don't cut your way in the line. But if there's an empty spot in the line that nobody knows who's there, if everyone's like, there's an empty spot in this line, you know, right at the very front, and everyone's just staring at it because nobody knows who goes there, jump in that spot. Take it. Somebody comes over and they go, hey, you're not supposed to be there. You go, oh, all right, I'll, I'll move. But take it. Take whatever you can. That's how life works. Be polite, be good, show what you're worth. But a lot of times people aren't going to care what you're worth. And I'm going to tell you, this is the funny thing. This is the flip side to all of this because this is such a positive podcast, right? Like I'm giving you guys positive information. But there is one issue that I've always faced and I've talked about it here before. I think I've talked about it in the, in the blog as well. I have issues with... um things going well, which sounds crazy to say. And it's not a fear of success or anything like that. I think I've, I've always, my whole life, I've kind of been surrounded by personalities that often make me question good moments. You know, something good happens and somebody's like, yeah, what's going to happen here? Could you have made more money from them? Maybe that's not, it's always that, that sound I just equate to like success. Someone's like, congratulations. And there's someone behind me like, hmm. I'm like, what are you doing? Sound like a little trombone person, you know? Mm -mm. Dealt with that all the time. Every stage of my life, I really have. And it's been different people. And kind of like these people gravitate into my life. And because of that, when good things happen, I'm always like a part of me is always waiting kind of for that other shoe to drop. Always waiting for that, that, you know, but, eh, you know, congratulations, but, eh. And I was waiting for it now. And I don't even know, even now that I know that it's not going to happen, there's still something in the pit of my stomach that is always concerned about that. But where is the bad part of this? Where is the, you know, where's the add-on? Where's the caveat, if you will, to this whole thing? And that's one of the things that I'm coming to grips with. I'm starting to figure out with my own personal success. Like what, at what point should I just kind of take it and be happy? Even now that I know that I'm feeling that, because of just like past experiences, I still have that. I still battle that a little bit. And one of the things that I realized, and it's something that I think we all need to realize, and it sounds like something that's almost common sense, but I think sometimes you gloss over what it means. We talk about haters and we talk about people who say bad things, but here's the problem. 
for me, as somebody who wants to be successful, wants to be able to be the best at what I, what I try to do, my goal is to do the best work possible. If you put something in front of me and you say, I want to see how good you are at you know this, at, you know, writing or building a race car or whatever the hell it is, my goal is to do the best job I can to build that race car, to write that story, to let you see what my skills are. And that to me is success. That's how you succeed. Not everybody lives like that. There are people who put the same amount of effort that you might put into working hard and achieving things. They put the same amount of effort into tearing you down because that's their secret to success. And this isn't me saying like, because they have no skills and no haters and all that, because I think that we do that too much. I think we try to figure out why people are like that. It doesn't matter why they're like that. They're just like that. There's some people that when they think, well, how am I going to succeed? The goal is I have to cut down everyone around me so they don't succeed. And then I can do what I have to do and I can leapfrog over them. And the world is full of people like that. And that's why all those negative statements, whether it's, you know, something good happens to you and someone mm, or somebody at work, you know, who's constantly criticizing what you do or, you know, talking about you to other people. Like we try to figure it out. Sometimes we take those things to heart. If you're the kind of person who works hard and the work that you do is to do the best you can and somebody else comes along and cuts it down, the assumption is that you screwed up. Like, oh my God, why, this person's tearing me apart. I must've done something wrong. Sometimes that person's tearing you apart because that's what that person does to continue to be successful and to not get fired themselves. And I'm realizing that too. I'm realizing that the world is full of people who to them, hard work, dedication, and the, you know, the road to the top is paved with the, you know, the bodies of their enemies. With me, I don't care. Like, do the best you can, and I'm going to do the best I can, and my best is going to be better than your best. That's what I tell myself. That's what I try to do. Am I always successful? No. Do I always beat everybody? No. But to me, I think that's the way you do the best job you can. Like, all right, let's go. Let's compete. Let's go. It's me against you. Let's see what we could do. That kind of a thing. But I wouldn't sit there and just like insidiously kind of like cut you down a little bit, say things to kind of get under your skin so that you feel bad, other people see you a different way. That's not my goal. You know, I want, I want everybody to be on equal ground. And I think that's something I'm trying to figure out. And I think that definitely affected how I've dealt with my own successes, how I've dealt with my own, uh, even failures, everything I've done in my life that has been up and down. I think a lot of times I I didn't really understand the motivations of those around me. And now I do. And now I kind of get it. So yeah, so that's the end of the story. I sit at the front of the table. I make things happen. And I kind of just tune out all the, all the nonsense because I know that, you know, I know where it's coming from. Not to say that, you know, I don't take criticism. I like criticism. And sometimes if somebody gives constructive criticism, you know the difference between constructive criticism and like crappy criticism. Because somebody gives you constructive criticism, you think about it and you go, oh, I see that. All right. Somebody gives you crappy criticism, you think about that for like a week and you tell people about it. But you know what he said to me? He was like, oh, like it's always an angry thing. So I cut that stuff out and I just go with, with what works. And for me, what works is doing the best I can. So yeah, all in all, it's been a good week and I'm accepting the fact that it's been a good week. So please, if you get a chance, go to therichest.com, check out the work I do. I'm still gonna be writing there as well. Uh, I'm gonna be handling some of the editing stuff there, hopefully trying to figure out a, a good path to make this really a great site. I really enjoy writing there. I love it. It uh, it covers kind of, you know, wealth and luxury in a way that, I don't know, I enjoy reading their articles. You know, I've, I've written for places before where I tell people about it and they're like, oh, that sounds cool. But with this, like, you know, I tell people and they're like, oh, I want to read that. <laughs> cool, I like that. So it, it's cool. It's fun to read. It's exciting. Um, and I'm excited. I'm happy about it. So definitely check it out, therichest.com. Uh, and you can see my work on there. But of course, I'm still going to be doing this. 
my blog on, on dad.com as well. I'm going to be doing the blog, the podcast, all of that. It is up. It is keeping going uh, as we move forward. Every Monday, every Wednesday, a new blog. Every Friday, a new podcast. And I did the same thing this week. I did blog on Monday, blog on Wednesday. Uh, two good ones, two things that I, you know, I enjoy writing. I say this every week. I love it. I really, I love writing in general. It's something that, you know, I get it out of my system. Something bothers me. I'm able to write about it. Something bothered me on Monday. I wrote about it. Felt better about it on, on Tuesday. I wrote about, I would choose my special needs child over any other. That's what I wrote about on Monday. And it was a story about a woman that I had reconnected with um, after our, our family kind of fallen out with her, who made an assumption that maybe we, we had stopped talking to her because her child didn't have autism and ours did. And we were upset about it. And it was the kind of statement that stays in your head and rattles around and you don't really respond to it the way you should write it first because you're so shocked by it. Like a rude statement for somebody to say. And it really was, it was a rude statement. Wasn't even said in that rude of a way. It was said almost in a clueless kind of a way. You know, well, I didn't know. I thought maybe you'd be jealous. Oh, and my, your first instinct is to turn around and, and be like, no, no, no one will be jealous. Well, that doesn't make any sense. No, 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 that's silly. That's silly. Okay, good. I'm, I was worried. Okay. And then the conversation continues. And then like a few minutes later, you're like, yo, what did she say? What the hell? Like in my head, I'm like, what? So by the end of the conversation, it's now we're kind of like at a distant, you know, uh, <laughs> point from each other. But it's too late now to go back and be like, what did you say before to me about jealousy? Because it sounds like, well, why didn't you say anything before? And it's like, well, I was so shocked by it, but it's kind of pointless. But I, I wanted to definitely address it and at least let one thing be clear. I would choose my kid over anybody, both my kids. They would be my choices. My son and I have a relationship, and I've talked about this a million times, unlike any relationship I've had with anybody else in the world, or ever will, I think, just based on who he is, who I am, how we interact with each other, how I know what he wants, how I know what he does. Uh, I'm able to tell him things. Even this week, I went to pick him up from school uh, halfway through the week when it was my turn to get him. I hadn't seen him, and I was excited to see him. And he was going to go on the school bus, but I was driving him home. And he sees me and he comes running out, you know, and people hear that. They're like, oh, he must be so excited to see you. And he, he often is. He came out and he saw me and he didn't want to go with me. He wanted to go on the bus. And I think it was because um, when he goes to his mother, sometimes he gets the iPad and sometimes I don't give him the iPad right away. This time, though, I had it in the car. So he's like, mm. he was upset. And he's like, I'm like, what are you doing? He wanted to like, oh, I think he wants to go on the bus. And he was like trying to go on the bus. I'm like, hey, dude, hey, hey. I made the iPad symbol with my hands, which is the, the thumb into the palm. Him and I made this up. I don't think it falls on any chart anywhere. I'm like, yo, you want the iPad? And I did like a rainbow, the backwards rainbow with my finger. Rainbow. I go, it's in the car. It's in the car. iPad. And he went, he just stared at me, let go of the teacher's hand, took my hand and walked away. And it's that kind of, of you know, interactions that he and I have that show that we're really on the same level. Just, I mean, on a different different plan than anybody else that I have a relationship with. I speak to him in ways I don't speak to anybody else. We have kind of this connection that I can't, I can't really describe. And for that reason, I never would trade him for anybody, especially, I mean, this lady's kid was kind of doofy, but I love my kid. I really do. And there's no jealousy and there's no, you know, oh, I wish you could tell me a joke. Like, eh. I mean, I want him to be able to talk so that he would be able to interact with the world a little bit better and, and get more of what he wants and be able to sit at the front of that table, you know, on his own. But that said, if he doesn't, I, I love this kid. I really do. And I would never, I wouldn't trade him for anything. I, you know, I did a blog a long time ago about if I had a, a magic wand, I wouldn't wave it and wish that he didn't have autism. 
because autism is a big part of who he is. I would wave the wand and hope that he could eventually learn skills that would help him interact with the world better, but I wouldn't wish away his autism. I don't even know who that person would be. I love this person. I love this kid. I love both my kids. So that was important for me on, on Monday to get that out there and explain that, you know, I would choose my kids over anybody else. There's no jealousy. There's no sadness. There's no, you know, I wish I had that kid. You know, no, I like my kid. My kid's awesome. That was on Monday. On Wednesday, I wrote one that always generates a little bit of interest. I've written, you know, similar in the past. This is the first one like this that I had written. It's called Don't Applaud Fathers for Being Fathers. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Listen, I am a really involved dad. Really involved. I love my kids. I, I feel like I was made to be a dad. Even when I was younger, I would think of like, you know, if I had kids, I would tell them this and I would teach them that and all these ideas. And now I have kids and I tell them this and I teach them that as I, you know, evidence before from telling my daughter the story about making things happen and things like that. Everything I do is with the idea of how am I going to use this to be a better dad? I just love it. I love being a father. So it drives me crazy when dads are given this like, get out of jail free card. I didn't get out of jail, but get out of anything free card where it's almost like a joke that the dad doesn't do anything. You know, oh, the dad doesn't understand. Oh, he doesn't know anything. He's so stupid. It's always like a stupid dad thing. He doesn't, he doesn't know where the food is. He doesn't know like, you know, the kid's friends' names. He doesn't know what to do. hate that. And it's like, a, it's like an old timey joke. I've seen memes online that make my skin crawl. I, I just wish I could sleep as much as my husband does. <laughs> well, then you have a crappy husband. I don't know what to tell you. If you're getting up with a baby in the middle of the night and you're the only one and your husband's sleeping through it, what happened? Why? Well, he works. Does he worry he works seven days a week? I mean, maybe he works seven days a week, but even then, shouldn't your husband be like, thank you to the point where you're not putting memes about it online? If your husband's just sleeping and you're taking care of the kid, if your husband calls it babysitting when he watches his own child, that's messed up. That's not, that's not cool. But for some reason, that's like the joke. Like, ha, men don't do anything. And because of it, when a man does anything, they get like elevated to a place that I'm just like, what the hell? I hate when I see like, and I, I wrote about this and I had seen this online. I didn't include the meme. I couldn't really find it, but I always found it creepy. And it was this dad, this big dad, and he's walking with his daughter. And it's obviously a candid shot by some creeper like sitting behind a bush or something. And he's walking with his daughter and he's wearing her unicorn backpack on his back. And someone took a picture of it, posted it online and were like, no matter how big of a man you are, when your daughter asks you to wear her unicorn backpack, you wear it. Yeah, because it's his daughter, dude. I don't know why. Why do you have to post that online? Invade this dude's privacy? Why do you have to make it seem like it's some sort of extraordinary act of whatever? What's the problem? Who's going to turn to their little girl and be, I can't wear that backpack. People will think that I'm a fruitcake. You know, who's going to say that? What are you going to say that? That's insane. Why would you say that? <laughs> Just do your parenting. So the fact that we elevate it, the fact that we put it online, the fact that we all go, oh, right in the feels. It's corny. Why would you do that? It's corny. Let the dad be a dad. Maybe if we let dads be dads, they wouldn't sleep so much that you have to put memes about it online. You know, I wish I could sleep as much as my husband does. Well, how about maybe you don't applaud every little tiny thing they do so they don't think that it's a big, huge step. It's not. It's part of the job. It's a job description. Everything they do. And I, I always bring it back to like females and, and how insulted women would be if we were to turn around and you know take a picture of a mom like helping a boy do a boy thing. Like a mom's like helping a boy like you know, do a race car. Why am I on race cars today, man? Go-kart. How about that? A go-kart or, you know, teaching a boy to ride a bike or something that we would equate to like a dad son thing, playing catch. 
No matter how, you know, no matter how dainty of a lady you are, if your son asks you to play a game of catch, you play it. People would be like, why did you take a picture of that woman playing catch? Well, I thought, I thought it was cute. I thought, what's so cute about it? Well, because women don't usually play catch with the sons. It's usually the father. That's very sexist. Yes, it's very sexist to do that. It's also very sexist to take a picture of the dude wearing the unicorn backpack. It's very sexist to do all those things. There's no gender assigned to the parent who does stuff. Both parents should do things. And some houses, it's the father. Some houses, it's the mother. And we should expect it from everybody. We should expect everybody to do their part to where it is needed. So if you need your child's father to do something, he should be doing it. If you need your child's mother to be doing something, she should be doing it. And we all shouldn't just sit around together and laugh about the ones who don't as if it's like, well, we're all, we all know what dads are like. No, no, we don't. Because I'm not. And that's, I don't know, man. There's nothing more frustrating than, you know, spending the night up with like a sick kid and then going online and reading a meme about how, you know, dads don't do anything. So are you kidding me for real? So that drives me crazy. So that's what I wrote on Wednesday. Don't applaud fathers for being fathers. Don't pretend like they're doing some monumental task just because they do the bare minimum. You know, life is about, you know, your responsibilities and doing what you have to do. So take care of your kids, do the right thing. And, uh, and yeah, and then we can all have cake or whatever it is you do after that. That does it for me, guys. I want to thank you for listening to me today. I want to thank you for uh, a really good week. Still wrapping my head around it, trying to move forward, but I'm excited. I'm happy. Kind of sometimes you come out the other side of something and you just feel better. I feel better this week. So it's been a good week. It's been a good time. And it's been a good Friday. Been a good podcast. Until next time, this is James Gutman saying, be well. Bye, pod. I'm done.